Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Hello and welcome to the UK Tech Weekly podcast, the UK's wokest tech podcast. <laughs> Today I'm going to be joined by editor at Tech Advisor, Jim Martin. Hello. Uh, games editor at Tech Advisor, Lewis Painter. Hello. And senior staff writer at Tech Advisor, Don <laughs> Preston. Hi. It's a Tech Advisor full house. Today we're going to be talking about the HomePod uh, running rings around the competition. We're going to talk about Lewis and Kingdom Come Deliverance. <laughs> and uh, then we're going to talk about how woke Wakanda is. So... Join us. Jim, the HomePod. HomePod time. <laughs> You've got your hands on it? I have indeed, yes. How it's... is this latest piece of very expensive Apple kit? It's actually very impressive. For a first generation product, um, I think it, it's very, very good. It's The hardware is polished. Um, the, the sound is excellent. The only thing that really lets it down is that Siri sounds a bit robotic, and of course, it's uh, hitting the headlines for making these rings on people's. Are we going to talk about the rings first? <laughs> well, we may as well get it out. I'm the excited way. to talk you about know, the rings. Let, let's talk about you. You, you lead. Well, it sounds yeah. So I, I've seen lots of headlines that um, the HomePod is leaving sort of white rings on wooden surfaces because, as Lewis just informed me, there's something <laughs> in the silicon that reacts badly with certain wood surfaces and then it leaves a sort of ring on your wooden table. Um, so put your home pod on a coaster. I, I've got a theory about this, actually. I think that they've done this on purpose because, you know, Apple, you know, do everything on purpose. It's a design decision. And I think if it leaves a ring there, then you can't ever move the home pod. You're stuck with so it. So that's you the best way. You have a second one if you wanted one in that a is, different yeah, location. That is the right. Apple lock-in yeah. is that it leaves a ring so it's you can't ever an, move an it. an extra, very subtle... Uh, part of the wall garden that's yeah. been extended around <laughs> your coffee table. They're already walling you into iTunes and now they're literally physically walling it into your table. It's so. incredible. Well, I'm not sure about that, but it, was, it, it, it certainly <laughs> could, done. could open up a, a market for HomePod accessories, couldn't it? <laughs> it could. You uh, could just leave it in the box, couldn't you? you in the you half could. the box. I mean, that would 100% ruin the sound quality. Yeah. Which <laughs> I'm not sure it will, especially as the tweeters are sitting right at the bottom. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was, getting back to the actual device itself, yeah. um, it's, it is very good. It certainly is worth the money from the sound quality point of view uh, because I, speakers, good speakers, are expensive. And that's what they're selling it on, isn't it? And and it's it does what it sets out to do. Um, Siri is 
the voice is a little bit robotic, as I say, but the capabilities are, on the whole, in terms of a digital assistant, comparable with the Google Assistant and um, Alexa. But the advantage that Alexa has, and possibly Google, is that uh, Amazon has gone out of its way to really help developers build those yeah. skills and get yeah. their kit integrated with Alexa. And it is very, so, it's very easy to build an Alexa skill. It is. Um, so, where, I mean, I know that Apple has, of course, got Siri Kit um, and is uh, trying to tempt developers to, to bring their products uh, so that it's got Siri integration as well. And I've certainly seen a few um, companies sending me emails about, oh, yes, our devices work with, uh, with the HomePod now and the Tatmo cameras and a few others. But it, it certainly does not work with a smart home kit that doesn't support home, uh, home kit. I think the key difference there is... Um... Obviously, the quality of the of the voice assistants are probably comparable in terms of like their ability to learn and adapt to the users and things like that. But then, where Amazon and Google have the advantage is the breadth of things that it can do. Exactly, exactly. And one thing that Siri, of course, cannot do is it can't detect who's talking to it. So it was it will be effectively like Google Assistant and then an Alexa were at the start, um, which is that anyone could request anything and yeah. it will do what they do what they ask. And of course. If you're if you're going to say, give me some uh, directions to work, it will only give it will know the work location of the person who's registered it. So it's kind of um, on when you ask it certain things, it will only respond to its owner if you like. Yeah, yeah. or more troublingly, if you're linked with your bank account, how much money have yeah. I got in my bank account? Some and you've stuff. got someone yeah. around who you don't want to know. <laughs> Anyone can ask it to read out your text messages and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's the, the big right one, isn't it? Settings. Yeah, don't want that. No thanks. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's a that's a slightly minor issue um, if you're in a normal family home because um, you would probably just not in not install that that banking tie-in if you sure. like or yep. just or just disable it um whereas in a shared home um it doesn't yeah it, it leads to more uh more of a privacy uh problem yeah yeah it's a few yeah. considerations there um you mentioned the hardware um i sort of got my hands on it a little bit the other day when it was in the office and the thing that i noticed is that it is built like a tank it is so solid yeah yeah and and of course it's it's beautiful it's yeah. seamless there's no uh there's no sign of them putting it together with screws no. so it looks good and it sounds good um uh yeah it, it, does it come in any other i've only seen it in black uh it comes in white as well yeah, yeah. i see i think white would probably be nicer but yeah that's d- an apple d- thing isn't yeah, it? i guess very dirty as well though wouldn't it white oh, yeah. fabric. Yeah. Oh. The, the only thing and this is something that obviously you would only find out when you've got your hands on it is that the the cover the, the sort of fabric cover around it is is almost 3d and the little diamond shapes the little holes which are there so that the sound can get out without mm. any any coloring or anything um little bits of dust and stuff sit in those especially where they point up to the top yeah um so you're gonna have to hoover it probably (laughs) (laughs) yeah first speaker we've had to hoover yeah that's a new one you wouldn't be too worried about hoovering it though would you it's so solidly built you just don't feel like anything's gonna come off or anything the downside to that is that it's almost impossible to repair like you can't yeah. even get into it without actually damaging the home pod itself. That's, I saw iFix yeah. its teardown and they had to cut the mesh oh, really? to actually get into it. Yeah, wow. so. Classic Apple though, yeah. isn't it? No, yeah. I hadn't seen that. But yeah, the, yeah, the power cable is captive, um, which means that if that gets damaged, it's going to be tricky to repair. But yeah. then again, it could be something to do with um, audio file tech where they wouldn't want a connector in there potentially to do something to do with interference. Mm. So um, I mentioned 
So I mentioned the price earlier, um, but we haven't actually said what the price so is. So the price, uh, it's £319. Yeah. Um, which is it's quite a lot. It's three times-ish what an Echo is going to cost you. Yes. Yeah. So an Echo... Um, it's it's the, cheaper the, now, isn't it? It's the 90, Echo 2 quid. is uh, Um But the sound quality is probably three times worse. Fair. So <laughs> yeah. if you're if you're after, um, you know, I know people who've just bought the Echo 2 and they're very happy with it. Yeah. And the sound quality is good enough for them. If you want really good sound quality with really good bass and all the special uh, audio processing that the HomePod does, you know, separating out the instruments and giving you that really clear uh, sound stage where you can hear everything, mm-hmm. then you know you may want to spend the extra money but yeah. only if you're if you live in the apple world because <laughs> if you don't have apple devices and if you if you've already bought loads of smart light bulbs that aren't home kit compatible you can't control any of that stuff yeah. uh, with you the home set it up can you without you an iphone you, yeah. you need an iphone or an ipad um, um, and it's worth saying as well that the HomePod is your home hub as well, so that it gives you um, remote access to your HomeKit stuff from an iPhone uh, without having to have an iPad at home or an Apple TV or something like that. So it could add extra value. If you were just at the start of your smart home revolution mm. and you're just about <laughs> to invest thousands of pounds in switches and plugs and lights and thermostats and stuff, then then maybe you want to go that way. Yeah, so I was going to ask, like, who is the the target market here? It it sounds like it's someone that is Apple through and through. They've been an iTunes subscriber for years. <laughs> um, they're now Apple Music, you know, and uh, and and they've got money to spend on on what they want to be a, a high quality speaker. Are they? Is, is I'm guessing it's Sonos that should be more afraid than Amazon and Google. It's interesting. There's two points there actually. So first of all, yeah, the, we actually haven't mentioned that. It's Apple Music yes. that the HomePod uses to, uh, you know, all the all the audio sources really to, that integrate well with Siri are from Apple, of course. Yeah. So you, you can't use Deezer, you can't use Spotify. You can use them, but only if you AirPlay from your phone. Sure. So you can't. You, so can't, you can't talk you, to it. You can't really say to Siri, "Play a certain album from Spotify." Sure. You would have to start it from your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you can use Siri to say, so kind of "Skip track, next track." Um, previous track or you know go forward so you you do need to be an apple music subscriber to get the most out of it Mm -hmm. for sure um it was interesting that sonos um did a a deal pretty much when the homepod launched where you get two (laughs) uh, sonos ones uh for um 299 or something yeah it was about about the price of the homepod so um i think our review of the, the sonos one is very good um and if you if, yeah, again, if you have other Sonos products, then it makes a lot of sense to, to buy a couple of those. Um, Apple has already announced that it's going to um, bring out a couple of extra features later this year for the HomePod, one of which is the ability to use two in a stereo pair. So mm-hmm. if you've got a serious amount of money, you can <laughs> have seriously good stereo quality. Um, hopefully that will work with the Apple TV as well. Um, but uh, I don't I don't think uh, Sonos will be particularly worried because they've got Alexa integration. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say they tied so, up with Amazon, didn't they? Yeah, um, and uh, I think that's where the market's going to go now because what we're seeing a lot more of is the big audio companies partnering with either Amazon or Google to put their assistants in. That's right. And that's really where Apple's competition is now. You don't compare the HomePod to an Echo. They're totally different products. Exactly. You do compare to the HomePod to a Sonos One, which is a lot cheaper and has 
um, Alexa in, which is arguably better than the Siri, or at least more open and has like more breadth, as we said yeah. earlier. And we're going to see more and more of that, I think, higher and higher end speakers from yeah. the big audio companies that the brands people really trust for audio in a yeah. way. You might not trust Apple for audio, you might, you might not. But when it's, you know, a big audio company, you know, make amazing speakers and it's got Alexa built in. That's where you start to look at that over a HomePod and yeah. think, oh, and maybe if, that's if B&W was to release something very high end uh, for the UK with Alexa or the Google Assistant in it, that would be very interesting and certainly a real, uh, possibly a worry for Apple in the UK. Um, um, but hopefully they can they can get more support for different um, different bits of hardware and different uh, different services so that they're not so far behind Alexa, if you like, in, in terms of compatibility. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right, I'm going to go around the table for your verdicts. Um, is it HomePod or You Cheeky Sod? <laughs> Lewis? I'm going to say You Cheeky Sod. I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say HomePod. Uh, you Cheeky Sod. Yeah, You Cheeky Sod. Can't use Spotify. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going to have a little audio fill and then we're going to talk to Lewis. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Lewis, Kingdom Come Deliverance. Never heard of it. (laughs) Great start. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Kingdom Come Deliverance came out this week. Um, It's a game that started life on Kickstarter. So it's it's a Kickstarter-funded game, which is always very exciting because they they tend to promise so much and deliver so little. They're so disappointing. (laughs) That's everything on Kickstarter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it seems that Kingdom Come Deliverance is just about delivered on what they promised. I mean, uh, the state of the game at the moment, it's it's a little bit buggy. I've seen... I mean, I haven't really experienced a lot of the bugs, um, but I've seen videos and stuff online. It, It does look pretty game breaking yeah. for some people but what platform is it on sorry uh, PC, PS4 and Xbox One nice which is quite good they were supposed to come out on Mac OS as well but they, they can that for the consoles which is probably a smart move let's yeah. be honest yeah. Um, so yeah the premise of the game set in 1403 Bohemia 
Um, it's nice a, and specific. Yeah. <laughs> it's a historically accurate role-playing game. Mm-hmm. So it's much slower paced than the kind of games that you're used to playing, if that's the kind of game that you play. Um, and you, st- you play as Henry. He's just he's a blacksmith's son. He's nothing special. Because in a lot of games, you know, you, the character, the main character is someone of importance, someone yeah. that other people want to help. And he's got these superhuman powers where he can take on 20 people at once and, you know, not break a sweat. Henry's not like that. Henry yeah. is a complete opposite. He's clumsy. He's useless. He can't fight. He, he can't read. You have to teach him to read. And that takes hours. And <laughs> <laughs> this, this doesn't sound a whole lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not selling it very well. I'm having no. flashbacks of like armor crafting and Skyrim. <laughs> no, it's... Um, all right, let me skip past all that. And I'll, I'll tell so you it something. sounds like he's Gendry, not Jon Snow. Yeah, he's a little bit... But, you know, he, he works at it. And it's, it's up to you to choose, um, you know, how you want to develop his skill set. Because the thing is, he comes with such a wide range of skills that you can build on and stuff like that you yeah. can really uh, specify whether you know you want to be like a, a blacksmith uh, or you can be like a tailor or you can go out and be a farmer or you can you know really work on your combat and um, go and you know be in the army mm. um, or another really handy thing in the game is that you can upgrade your charisma so when you're talking to people and uh, that you need to get quests from you can kind of trick them or you can avoid combat just by choosing the right words which is always good because combat in the game is very realistic should i say <laughs> and it's very difficult yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's kind of more 1v1 combat rather than you fighting a group of people at once mm-hmm. um and it's got a really interesting kind of uh, dial design so that you choose the direction of your swipe with one of your analog sticks and then you can kind of uh, pretend to attack from one angle change to go to another angle you have to block and parry and dodge and it's all very very interesting <laughs> Yeah, that, that does sound like a something that uh, would interest a lot of people. It's just something a bit different. This is what I mean, yeah. They're, they're kind of offering something different. And uh, all the events, all the people, uh, it's all based on real stuff that happened in 1403. It's all real stuff. Uh, you know, the kings that are mentioned in there, they're all real. Mm-hmm. Um, as you come across things in game, like, you know, the first time you meet an executioner, you'll unlock a codex that will tell you all about executioners in, in kind of the 1400s. So it's educating you as well as, you know, you're just playing a game. And which country are we talking about? Uh, it's not a, it's not a modern country. It's easy. Yeah, it's kind okay. of yeah. What was currently Germany? Yeah. yeah. Um, I I heard you lost your sword for a little while. I did. I still haven't <laughs> got it back. It's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's my father's sword, the last sword he ever made, and um, yeah, I got I got jumped by a gang, and um, they were like, "Okay, we'll fight you for your sword." I was like, "Yeah, I, I can do this." You oh, know, no. I've been I've been training. I've been in the combat arena. Got the sword out, he slapped me once and I was down. And I was like, okay, that was that then. <laughs> and yeah, he took my sword and I, 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 got, I was downgraded to a bludgeon for so long, just a, a stick of wood, just running around beating people with a stick of wood. <laughs> so yeah, it's, 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 it's really fun. Uh, it's really frustrating. You know, it's a slow paced game. Yeah. Uh, now I think that there's, there's, there's a beauty in that, I think. You know, it, well, there's it, a level of satisfaction, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Because you're doing everything yourself. So like when you need to sharpen your, your swords, you have to go to a grindstone. You have to choose the angle. You have to press down on the grindstone, see the sparks, do all that. And then when you want to uh, make potions, for example, you go to the alchemy bench. You have to read in the book, find the ingredients, grab them from the yeah. the shelves, you know, com- uh, prepare it in the steps that it tells you to, or you'll fail. And so you there's won't no shortcuts. Anything. No, there's no shortcuts. Sounds like you need a lot of dedication then for yeah. this game. You've got to really want to achieve yeah. How many hours are you in? About 25, I yeah. think. Um, and yeah, I'm still really basic. So, <laughs> so. 25 hours in, of, of, is there sort of a clear path to like an end game here? Uh, I'm not really too sure because I've 
not really been focusing too heavily on the campaign um, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of kind of side quest things to do, things to find. So I kind of just doing all that as well at yeah. the same time. Um, but there is a very well defined storyline in it. I'm kind of getting into it a bit more now, where I'm getting into more kind of battles with people. I'm kind of working my way up the ranks a little bit. Yeah. But I have no idea what the end game's like yet. I'm gonna save that. It's gonna that's, be a treat. Interesting. <laughs> And it's out now, is it? It's out now, yeah. Out and now. I think, you know, in terms of value for money, you can't really go wrong because it's 40 quid. And, you know, a lot of 40 quid games these days will give you like eight to 10 hours of gameplay. It's but true. this one will yeah. keep, you know, there is enough here for at least 100 hours of gameplay. As Dom knows that, it's just not a selling point for yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> that's like the opposite for me. I want a nice short game. Just give me 10 good hours no, and no. I'm done. Yeah, nice single player campaign. Yeah. <laughs> right, we're done with oh, that. So I can, like tick off my list mentally and be like, cool, played that, move yeah. on. <laughs> This is why I'm like more excited about Last of Us this year yep, than yeah. Red Dead because I know Red Dead is going to take 100 hours of my life and Last yep. of Us is going to be about 15. Yeah. And I essentially want games to be about the same length as a Netflix season. A box set, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no, but then I don't know, I just feel like the the value for money in open world games is so much better because then 100%. you can you can, you know, you can knock out the campaigns fairly quickly if you want to just focus on campaign. But then you've always got the extra bits and bobs to do as well and that's the kind of thing that I like like, you know, I completed Assassin's Creed Origins ages ago. If that was just a single-player campaign, I wouldn't go back to that and play that again. But no. now, every now and again, I'll jump on it. Mm. I'll do some side quests. I'll go and explore some tombs. Yep. You know, do that kind of thing. So I'm like, yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I get it. It's, I get it sometimes. It's just rare for me to sort of let myself get stuck into yeah. a game like that. Zelda was the last one for me. And yeah, I sunk a load of time into that. And then when the new DLC came out, so played that and that dragged me back into the rest of the open world. And I ended up playing the DLC for a few hours, but then getting another 15 hours of just open world stuff yeah. through. Um so I get it, but it's that sort of daunting thing of looking at a 100-hour game and just thinking, nope, can't even start that. Especially when you're going to review it and you're like, yeah. oh, I've got two days to do this. How am I going to do it? <laughs> That's pulling the curtain yeah. back, isn't it? So I've got to ask, yeah. like, historical accuracy, because you've mentioned potions, and my sense yeah. of potions <laughs> is that they sit low on the historical accuracy yeah. register. Um, yeah, that's a kind of only slightly questionable part about the game, <laughs> is the inclusion of potions and stuff like that. I mean, you know, there's there's... Uh, alchemy, you know, alchemy yeah. is always I, a thing. I believe yeah. people in Fortnite with you being here drank a lot of potions. Yeah. I don't believe they <laughs> did a lot of good for them. <laughs> yeah, so no, what that's... happens if you get hurt or you die? Um, you, you have to reload from a save game yeah. um, from right. previously. That's the kind of the, one of the annoying things about the game is that to save the game, you have to have save your schnapps, which is uh, a drink that you have to make at the alchemy bench, which you which can't they do. They famously did in Fortune Three Bohemia, just yeah. save the game. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's what it's famous for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the issue is, yeah, you have to make them really hard to get a hold of. So essentially, you 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 are the game's you know the game is in control of how long you play for because it only saves when it wants to save. Uh, yeah, I hate that. Yeah. If, you drink, if you drink a load of schnapps though in real life, you kind of are doing a save you, game, aren't you? Sort of you? Because, yeah, you've got like a, you've got like a ten-hour gap there yeah. where you don't really know what happened, and then you go back to. If you where do you keep were. drinking it though, you do become an alcoholic and you become addicted, and you have to carry on drinking it. From that point. <laughs> <laughs> so that's always fun. That's a nice touch. Uh, cool. All right, verdicts: Kingdom Come or Kingdom Done? Kingdom Come. Kingdom done. Yeah, Kingdom done. I just can't imagine getting into it. Just haven't got the time. <laughs> oh, you lot are terrible. <laughs> uh, another short break. We're going to come back and talk to Dom. Dom, Black Panther, out this week. Yep. Ryan Coogler's uh, Marvel movie. I have read it described today as Marvel's first masterpiece. Oh, okay. You've seen it. Yep. Uh, without any spoilers, please. <laughs> what do you think? Uh it is phenomenal. It is really, really fantastic. Um, it's certainly one of the strongest pieces of like, directorial and creative vision Marvel has had in a long time. 
I think especially coming hot on the heels of Thor Ragnarok, which was mm-hmm. another great example of them really letting a director express themselves, yeah. which is something Marvel has not had a reputation for historically. They're a very producer-driven studio. Kevin Feige at the top basically declares, this is the framework for a Marvel movie, this is what we do. Directors get some room to play, but it's very much, you know, they have to fit within the mould. Uh, I think Marvel's loosening that up a lot now. Um, Thor Ragnarok was this crazy, weird, 70s-inspired sci-fi disco goth mess, <laughs> which was incredible. Yeah, um, which just kind of worked. <laughs> yeah, uh, and we're seeing it, like, there will be, like, uh, Captain Marvel next year is set in the 90s, uh, which promises another sort of chance to break away and do something a bit different. That's Bri- uh, Brie Larson. Brie Larson. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Black Panther is picking up on... Um, T'Challa, aka Black Panther, who first appeared in Captain America Civil War a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so this sort of picks up very shortly after the end of Civil War. Um, and uh, in that film, his father, the king of Wakanda, dies. And so now it's sort of this begins with him claiming his throne and, you know, becoming the king himself. Uh, so Wakanda is a sort of old fictional African nation in the Marvel Universe. Um, the idea being that it is rich in one of those silly magic metals called vibranium which <laughs> can it's, it's the stuff that's in captain uh captain america's shield and makes yeah. it all bouncy and special yeah um and in this movie it's sort of a catch-all for like it does cool stuff nice <laughs> like whatever generic tech cool sci-fi thing we want yeah, vibranium did it yeah so it is hand wavium you know but uh so the idea is like this this african nation wakanda has been uh, secretly very advanced very rich uh, but they've yeah they've hidden that wealth uh, from the rest of the world uh, to protect it, and it's just sort of all laid out in a prologue, an animated prologue, which is uh, it holds no punches in terms of the setup. So it shows Wakanda choosing to keep hold of its wealth uh, and stay secret, as it shows white men coming and dragging people away in chains, <laughs> yeah, and stuff like that. And it's very open about yeah, like criticizing sort of uh, colonialism criticizing slavery and that sort of stuff it's not going to sort of pretend that didn't happen or dance around it uh one white character is jokingly called the colonialist a couple (laughs) times things like that uh so it's very hard-hitting in that sense i spent for a big blockbuster marvel movie yeah yeah um it's also bold in that it doesn't take easy lines again without spoiling anything a lot of the thematic stuff in the film is about, I guess, the sense that Wakanda is just as bad as some of the Western nations it wants to criticise. Yeah. So that idea of it being isolationist, it like, there's actually stuff where they talk about, like, should we bring in refugees from the rest of Africa? Mm-hmm. And a character says, no, when refugees come, they bring their own problems with them. Yeah. And stuff like that. Then there's talk of, oh, well, let's not bring refugees that send our troops out and fix all these countries for them. Which, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. anyone yeah. in the UK or the US yeah, really yeah. knows how well that works out. <laughs> so, like, it, it's really like, open to taking criticism of Wakanda. It's not sort of presenting it as just this beautiful Afrofuturist wonderland utopia. It's kind of saying, look, yeah, maybe they've made mistakes and it acknowledges, like, how easy it would be to slip into the kind of behaviour it's criticising historic US and UK and the West for, but also it's trying to find another path for a prosperous nation to engage with the less prosperous nations around it. Yeah, so unlike most Marvel movies, it's very overt in its politics, but also it sounds more importantly that there are um, moral grey areas where normally Marvel is good versus evil. 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think recent Marvel things like Civil War is a good one where there is a bit of grey yeah. in there. Yeah. But yeah, certainly the original ones are very good. But even you still get some, uh, like Doctor Strange. Yeah. The other year was very, you know, very hard, hard line, goody, baddie, not much in between. And, and quite a few of them can be like that. But yeah, this is definitely grey area. I totally see that a lot of people will probably come to the end of this thinking that the bad guy was right. Fair. Um, you know, a lot of people will share the bad guy's politics. Yeah. So you said um, that it the it opens with um, the protagonist sort of claiming his throne. Mm-hmm. Um, we know from history that that doesn't always go. Well. <laughs> yeah. Is that the is that the key conflict? Is it a conflict over the throne? Yeah. So uh, yeah, the the sort of fight for the throne is is the core of it. So T'Challa played by Chadwick Boseman, this Black Panther, uh, and then Michael B. Jordan, who starred in Creed for yeah. Ryan Coogler, his last the director's last film. Uh, he's the bad guy. Um, yeah, Cougar Eric and... Killmonger is his name, which is one of those That's old good. like seventies Marvel bad guy names. They're kind of stuck <laughs> with, it. and they have to. Yeah, they sort of fudge it by having it not actually be his real name. It's sort of like he's a military veteran, and that's the name he picked up because he racked up so many kills. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, uh, yeah, so you can kind of tell he's not going to be the good guy with with a name like that. Uh, yeah, so it's sort of him him coming along and trying to challenge T'Challa for the throne. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that chance to do sort of. Um, political posturing and that kind of stuff, but it's not too interesting that this isn't sort of Game of Thrones yeah. intrigue um, <laughs> and plotting. How is Michael B. Jordan playing a villain? Because he, I don't think he's ever really played a villain. He normally plays sort of the lovable mm. kind of character. I mean, there's, he's always got, he's always quite an urban character, so yeah. there's always edges to him, but he's always generally comes out on top yeah. um, and comes out, well, I don't want to say if he comes out on top, but I want to know <laughs> yeah. how he plays villain because he, he's... To me, going back to Friday Night Lights, he's yep. someone that I see as such a sort of lovable character. Um, yeah, no, he does a fantastic job. Um, as you said, he, he's often played roles with a kind of urban edge, and that's what they play up here. So he's meant to be a character who's actually not from Wakanda, or not been raised in Wakanda, mm-hmm. but um, grew up in Oakland in California. Yeah, And so it, it's, again, one of the interesting bits of the politics of the film. It talks about sort of the poverty of the rest of Africa, but also talks about the poverty of black people in the US and mm-hmm. is very open about that and um, yeah so there's this sort of idea of just his I think anger is really the underlying thing just yeah. constant anger at uh, oppression and injustice uh, one of his I think maybe his first scene is in the um, the Museum of Great Britain mm-hmm. which I have personally not had the pleasure of visiting <laughs> heard of it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah um, and it's sort of you know very much him sort of looking at um, being shown around some like uh, old African artifacts and you know again he's just straight away very sort of angry and open about like you know how did your ancestors get hold of this yeah. and that's sort of the edge that's there for him the whole time is a sense of like my people have been mistreated for generations and he's going to do whatever he can to in his mind set that right Mm. so um i mentioned that it's been called sort of marvel's first masterpiece Mm. um we can argue if it is the first masterpiece but um i I wanted to sort of dig into maybe why it's it's had that reaction from people i i've heard some things about sort of the the design um it it's got its own sort of it's a bit more auteur driven in that it's got a very much its own look and feel. That's the thing about Marvel generally. Yep. And and this is what people criticize DC movies for a lot mm. is that they feel the same. They're all yep. very much of a DC look and feel. Um, it sounds like with Black Panther, they've given Coogler a bit more rope here to kind of stamp his vision on it. 
Um, the only thing I know about the film without seeing it is that I've listened to the soundtrack and the soundtrack is phenomenal. The soundtrack is. They've just, they've <laughs> just let Kendrick Lamar yeah. go absolutely for it and bring all his mates in and just yeah. basically build a brilliant mixtape. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that immediately was like, I was like, okay, they, this is probably going to be pretty yeah. good. Uh, yeah, and some of that soundtrack is woven into the film itself. Um, there's also a, a more traditional score, but it's not sort of just... Uh, simple orchestral stuff it weaves in a lot of more sort of uh, African and Caribbean sounds yeah. into it uh, so there's a lot of drum stuff and that kind of thing cool. uh, and it does a great job of weaving between that kind of score and the soundtrack and uh, even though it's smart such as there's a bit set in Korea and uh, a, a Psy song comes on as they land and create the gang of style guy sort of not play for comedy but play for like right here's some korean hip-hop and it's like you know like so it's, it's sort of whenever it goes for some modern music it's hip-hop all the way um, it, yeah they couldn't have done k-pop it would have sounded yeah. weird <laughs> um yeah there's definitely a sense that ryan coogler is getting to do what he wants to do here uh the the, the design is phenomenal um sort of afrofuturist style just looks absolutely incredible and it's there all the way through the film yeah. uh, the costumes the design of Wakanda the city itself all of their tech and what's fascinating is the sense that they've gone and you can always imagine that the thought process has been reimagining the whole path of tech development because this isn't meant to be a, a country that's sort of taking its cues from the west in its tech development this is meant to be a country that's been building its tech before we were ever doing it yeah, yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> So it's sort of looking at it like, right, okay, when they fly their ships, they actually, they don't sit in like a cockpit pilot chair like we do. So they sit in a sort of meditative cross-legged pose and that's how they fly their ships. <laughs> and instead of like phone communication device, they have um, like beaded bracelets and each bead is a discrete bit of the communication system yeah, so and has a different like functionality. That. Stuff like that that feels like they've thought of it right from the ground up how to do it and how it might, how it might have developed. Nice. Um, so does this... Uh kind of lay out the vision for future Marvel movies. It, it seems that back in the day, the studio wanted control mm -hmm. because they had a sort of a ready-made blueprint on their yep. hands. But now with the success of Logan and the success of Deadpool and now the huge critical reception of this and box office, it absolutely smashed it in its first yep. week of the box office. Uh, are they going to let more directors kind of Go with go with their gut on these things. I think they will. I think to be honest, actually, probably we can trace all this really back to James Gunn's first Guardians of the Galaxy film, yeah, which is really the first. Well, I think time you they could probably author... trace it all the way back to to the Avengers, but then that kind of became the blueprint. Exactly. So it yeah. started that way, but then it was so successful that they used that as yeah. the blueprint, and now they're going back to letting more voices yeah. at it. Um, I think yeah, you've got to give Marvel credit. They've definitely recognised that things got a bit samey, mm. and that that became a regular criticism. Of sort of that kind of like lots of three and four stars. Like yeah, this is good, but it's the same as the last one. Yeah. It's just more good. Um, it's popcorn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, Thor Ragnarok and this are both signs of them being more open. I think we'll have to get through the two Avengers films before we see it open up properly in that mm. sense. Uh, which I think they'll probably be very good. Um, but the two Avengers films are being directed by the name's gone out of my head, but the uh, the guys who did uh, Winter Soldier and Civil War, yeah, um, the Russo brothers, does it? Yes. Um, so they are very, very capable directors, and those are two of the better Marvel films we've had. But equally, they do fit very safely in the Marvel mold. Of course. So I think Avengers: Infinity War and whatever the next Avengers are will both be that kind of safe, solid Marvel that's made billions and billions and billions of dollars. But we've got Captain Marvel next year, 
that could be a bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after they're done with the second Avengers, they're sort of open to just do a lot more. That's when they kind of the, everything's been built up to the end of the Avengers, and then from there they can see where they want to go yeah. and which characters they want to continue with and which new ones they want to introduce. Um, this has kind of been ruined by uh, Rian Johnson, but you could definitely parallel it with the way that Disney are treating Star Wars. Yeah. Like it, mm. those those big three sort of, you know, canon movies mm. have to look and feel like a Star Wars movie, especially The Force Awakens yeah. just felt like a rehash. Then Rian Johnson, yeah, kind of broke the mould a little bit and, and was able to stamp it, but it still very much felt like a Star Wars movie. But then with things like um, Rogue One, and upcoming with Solo, mm. uh, it appears that they are allowing people to do a little bit more with their universe or off to the side. Yeah. Mm. But so equally, they make all yeah. the money with the big ones and then yeah. kind of can take some risks with the others. The challenge Lucas for much to learn with that is how to actually let their directors go and do that because both... Because they haven't. Gareth Edwards in Rogue One, they intervene for the mm-hmm. final cut and then obviously Solo, they fire the directors halfway through and replace them with Ron Howard. <laughs> Uh, so there's a real sense over at Lucasfilm that Kathleen Kennedy has a sort of dictatorial view of how that Star Wars universe is run and I do think maybe they could learn some lessons from looking at uh, what Taika Waititi has done with Thor what Ryan Cooper's done here with Black Panther as to how like Kevin Feige's learned I think to step back a bit yeah. and the results have been phenomenal for the past few films yeah so. she stepped back for Rian Johnson but that's because she liked what she saw yeah. <laughs> so she kind of was allowed to um, I did read um one thing about Black Panther that um, we were talking about how samey a lot of the Marvel movies yeah. are and, and the problem I've always had with superhero movies over the last sort of five years and I stopped watching them is that they always had the same stakes. It was always yeah. someone comes along, they're going to blow up a city, mm-hmm. good guys have to stop that from happening. Yeah. Um, which it really sort of, it was the new Superman movies that um, that, that really kind of did that for me. Yeah. Uh, it From what I've heard, the stakes are very different Yes, in Black Panther, and that's a good thing. They they managed to feel both very personal and, in a sense, global. Mm-hmm. But it's a very different sort of global threat. I can't really say what it is, but the global threat is not the world's going to explode. <laughs> it's not someone's about to become dictator of the world. Yeah, it's not someone's going to blow up a whole city. There's none of that. There's not that Marvel trope that they did for about five films in a row where a load of small spaceships were attacking a single city from mm-hmm. above, which like you could pick out like five different Marvel films where that was the final sequence. Yeah, um, yeah. so it is different. It, it does fall into and one Big of Hero my... And Big Hero 6 as well. Yeah. <laughs> it does fall into one of my other least favourite superhero tropes, I will admit, which is bad guy fights... Uh, sorry, good guy fights evil version of himself. Yeah. So, you know, the final fight is Black Panther versus bad guy in another Black Panther suit. Sure. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's a decent it's enough Venom. fight scene it's done, but it's that kind of, like... Superheroes are always more interesting when they fight someone with a different power set. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the action. And that, I would say, is if Black Panther has a weak spot, it's the action. It's good. It's fine. But it's not going to be the bit anyone sort of writes home about. You're not going to desperately want to rewatch single action sequences. Yeah. There's a great car chase in Korea. The rest of the action is, is kind of there. It's it's fine. It's not Marvel's best. Yeah. So I think if you're just there for the fight scenes and the effects and the big sort of spectacle side of it, Black Panther might disappoint slightly. Uh, and certainly there's none of the sort of vision in that that say Doctor Strange, which while not definitely nowhere near as good a film, Doctor Strange had phenomenal visual effects and phenomenal mm. visual sense to the way it handled the big action sequences. Uh, Black Panther isn't. You can tell that's not where Ryan Coogler is really interested. Yeah. Cool. 
All right, so um, I can't really go around the room because I think Dom's the only one who's seen it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm but certainly I'm interested. Yeah, right? no, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I, I will be seeing it hopefully next week. Um, but Dom, Black Panther or Domesticated House Cat? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely Black Panther. Yeah, I think that is safe to say. Well, that's all from this week. Thank you very much for joining us. If you enjoyed what you heard, please remember to subscribe and tell your friends. Uh, but from us here, see you later. Bye. Bye. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. 